Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today's show is going to be wonderful. I'm going to bring on Dr. John Woodward in just a minute, and then Dr. Greg Borgon is all the way back from his seven-week trip to Ireland, where he was thinking about all kinds of things, and we're going to talk about our citizenship in heaven. That is going to be a great conversation, and then hour two is uh, our special series on studying God's Word with our friend Jeff Redorn. So that's all ahead But to get things started, I want to bring on Dr. John Woodward. He's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. He's uh, got a tremendous ministry in uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I think I said that right. Is that right, John? Welcome. You sure did, Bill. Good to be with you again. Nice to be uh, with you, and what a show I have. And I've got your friend and my friend Jeff Redorn on later in the program, so it's going to be a great show all the way around. Excellent. Yeah. So, John, when I was reading this article that you have, uh, I couldn't figure out the first couple of sentences. So will you help me with it? Well, in the article called Sorting Yourself Out, uh, (laughs) I posed the the question. Yes. Yeah, I posed the question, Bill. um, Should we deny ourselves, or should we crucify self or should we accept ourself? Sometimes in Christian discipleship, those terms kind of get confused. Yes, it does. So the you say in the article, sorting yourself out, uh, have you ever wondered, should I deny myself? And if I were just to stop right there, I'd go, yes. And then the second part is, or should I accept and love myself? How do I say that with the right inflection? Yeah. Well, it reminds us of of the um, famous command of our Lord, that we are to love the Lord God with all of our heart. But then he also goes on to give the second greatest commandment, right, Bill, to love our neighbor as ourself. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess it depends on what self was being referred to, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, sometimes... Oh, go ahead, John. In Christian counseling, um, we often dialogue with those from using other models of counseling, and often we hear from the secular model, we need more self-esteem. And that sounds right at first, but then we start to to notice that if we try to just kind of inflate our sense of self-worth, sometimes that bubble gets popped and it ends up not giving us the fulfillment we we're looking for. So we think that this concept of clarifying what the Bible teaches about self is important and getting our terms straight may help us along the way. John, there's few things more challenging than being around somebody that has an overinflated sense of importance. Mm-hmm. So how do we, we can, how do we divide the two? Say I need to have a healthy self image because God says love yourself mm-hmm. and love others. How do I have that without having this weird sense of self importance? Well, I think it it helps Bill to have a um, clarity about what aspect of our of our life we're talking about because if we if we accept aspects um, that are not um, good, then our values are mixed up. On the other hand, if we're rejecting something that God has created. Um, such as our gender, 
then we got our uh, our wires crossed. So um, in this uh, discussion um, about clarifying our sense of self, we're saying that there's two aspects of self that are, are I guess you could say negative and two that are positive. And so we just want to get clear what we need to deny and then what we're to accept. Indeed. Now, does self sometimes refer to the old man, the old self? Yes, Bill. It reminds me of the verse in Colossians where it says um, that we have put off the old self or the old man. Um, That refers to who we were in Adam, who we were before coming to the gospel. Um, And uh, that's a big deal because often we base our sense of identity on what has happened to us in life. For example, maybe someone's been abused or rejected or abandoned, uh, or maybe even a positive um, background of trying to achieve success based on their own performance. But when we come to the gospel, uh, that old identity was canceled at the cross. And there's some pretty big implications in that. John, when you say put off the old self, do we even have to do that? Didn't the old self die in salvation? Exactly. So we want to just get clear that when we're talking about this first aspect of self, our old identity, that's a done deal, like you said, Bill. So when we read in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, that's past tense, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So therefore, we need to, in this case, uh, really have a, I guess we could call it a white funeral. That's the term that Oswald Chambers uses in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. We need to have a white funeral, in other words, to recognize that we're no longer that person um, that we were before coming to know Jesus as our Savior. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fascinating idea. He, uh, no one experiences complete sanctification without going through a white funeral, the burial of the old self. Uh, I think that's a, probably a very interesting exercise that many would benefit from, John. And that idea of the white funeral is a fascinating uh, concept because at a funeral— we come to terms with um, uh, saying goodbye, at least temporarily, to someone who has died. So here in these Bible verses, like Romans 6, verse 6, we find out that the old self has died. Knowing this, Paul says, that our old man or our old self has been crucified with Christ. So what does that mean? It means that when a person receives Jesus Christ as his or her Savior, God takes them out of that old natural condition and puts them into this new spiritual union with our Savior. So we become a new person. So the funeral is that we need to say goodbye to the shame and regrets and whatever ever hang-ups have defined us before coming to know God in a personal way. Mm-hmm. My guest is Dr. John Woodward from Grace Fellowship International. He's the Director of Counseling and Training. Let's talk about self, John, as it re- refers to that piece of the the new believer that is called the flesh that we sometimes uh, you know refer to that as the what the the residue of the old man right so even after we have put off this old identity there's still the residue or the conditioning of how we've learned to think and to feel and to choose independently of god and the bible calls that the flesh and that uh, that term gives us the idea that it has to do with our mortal body because our brain remembers those patterns, doesn't it? Oh, does it um, ever. You know, and we have that conditioning. Unfortunately, um, the delete button wasn't pushed in our brain <laughs> uh, in terms of those old patterns when we became a new person in Christ. Yeah. And so therefore, 
our natural tendency, unfortunately, is to uh, to be wayward, to have, you might call it a sinful tendency. But thankfully, that can be counteracted by the Spirit of God. So there is that residue, or that, that old conditioning, which the Bible calls the flesh. Therefore, the Bible says we are to, um, to walk in fellowship with the Spirit of God, and that will that will then uh, cancel out or overrule those old patterns. Yeah, Paul talked about that, didn't he, in Romans 7? Mm-hmm. Sure did. He says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So uh, the Christian life is not about trying to improve our flesh, um, because Paul said that that's kind of a bankrupt uh, endeavor. Instead, it's about learning uh, how to live out of our union with the Spirit of God through surrendering and trusting Him to live his life in us and through us. I'm sure glad that um, even though those old patterns are still with us until we jettison this mortal body, that they don't have to define us. And as we let the Spirit of God take control, then his love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control can be displayed, right, through the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, John, we need to identify as saints, right, not sinners. That's right. And living out of that new identity really uh, predisposes us to realize that the normal Christian life is really being a vessel of this this new quality of God's grace. Yeah, obviously, as a believer, we then are in a position where we can choose to sin prior to coming to faith in Christ. You were enslaved to sin. That's right. We still have that vulnerability. In the words of Romans 6, we're no longer a slave to that pattern. Right. And so we can realize that as we yield and trust God's Spirit to take control of our mind, will, and emotions, then whatever those natural negative flesh patterns are, you know, whether they're inferiority or superiority, whether they're, they're uh, drug abuse or, or something else, that the Spirit of God can set us free from those patterns by His enablement. Yeah. It's not a simple topic, John. I'm trying to make it simple, but as I talk to you about it, I'm feeling like I think of 1 Corinthians 15:31 that says, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. I die daily. So we're, we're dying daily to uh, ourselves and claiming the victories of Christ daily. And so you bring up here that related to um, the self in terms of the flesh, we simply need to deny that. We say, that's not who I am, even though I have that tendency or that memory that doesn't define me. And I can simply, in the words of Jesus, deny myself, take up the cross, and follow Christ by his enablement. I like that expression, John, you just gave, that's not who I am. That seems like it should be a rehearsed phrase in our head all the time as we are encountering our little daily struggles and temptations where the the phrase that's emblazing in our brain is, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. You're reminding us, Bill, of the issue of identity, and in this little article we're talking about, I I mentioned uh, um, the issue of of two positive uses of self. And again, the, the value of having clear definitions here, right? Yeah, right. We talked so far about uh, the old man, the Bible calls it, who we were in Adam. That's the old self that's been crucified. We have to have a funeral for that person. Secondly, the the residue or the old conditioning, which the Bible describes as the flesh, uh, we need to deny that as we let God's Spirit take control. But here we have, um, to counterbalance that, Bill, we have two positive uses of self. 
And you mentioned identity again. So notice that that there is also what the Bible calls the new person, and that's who we are in union with God's Spirit. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it says that the new man, the new person, the new self, has been created in righteousness and holiness. So when it comes to that new identity we have, that new spiritual life, we shouldn't deny that, should we? We should no. actually welcome that and let that take the lead. Yeah, that's something I want to continue to talk about, John, after the break. I'm fascinated with this white funeral idea. I think this would be a good thing to do and then serve little finger sandwiches and potato salad after the service. <laughs> <laughs> seems like okay. it'd be, it seems like it'd be fitting. But uh, we'll uh, mm-hmm. continue our conversation with Dr. John Woodward as we talk about self, the two negative sides of self and the two positive sides of self. We're going to get to that when we come back. Be right back. John Woodward, he's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. Awfully glad to be chatting with him about sorting ourself out, the, the, the old self and the new self. It says in Genesis, John, that we are created in the image of God. That's a very positive self. I like that self. That sounds like a good basis of dignity, Bill, it that sure we does. have value because we are not a product of a random chance and evolution. We are created by by God, and, and that gives life special dignity. Um, and so when we're talking about the two positive uses of self, uh, we don't want to get our wires crossed, right? We want to appreciate this aspect of self. We would call it our, our personal dignity, our personhood. And uh, when our Lord talks about the uh, the Greek commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself, I think he's talking about this use of self. No, oh, I like that. So here's a big question, John. Is it selfish to love ourselves? And I think that that requires balance because I think um, it's valid to have a, a healthy sense of self-concern. The Bible assumes that that's really a sane position because our Lord says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if we're rejecting ourselves, if we are um, not valuing our sense of personhood, then that's going to get in the way of treating others with dignity and respect. When I think of the love your neighbor as yourself— what I always think, John, is do I put the same energy into meeting the needs of my neighbors as I do the needs of myself? And the answer is always no. And that's why it's such a profound ethic, Bill. In Matthew chapter 7, the famous, uh, what we call the uh, the golden rule, our Lord Jesus says, um, whatsoever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this ethic summarizes the moral content of, of the scriptures. So your your profound question about, you know, should we love ourselves? Yes, there's a, a healthy sense of self-concern, which means that you and I need to take care of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, physically, um, emotionally, mentally. And that's not, that's not pride. That's not selfishness, as we would call it. We would just call that um, being a good steward. And so um, when 
we talk about our dignity as believers in Jesus, it even goes further, Bill, because in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're told that we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but actually with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we also have value because of the price paid for us at Calvary. Mm-hmm. So, John, we're supposed to love ourselves and we're created in the image of God, but why then do we suffer with a list of eight or ten things we just don't like about ourselves? Mm. And sometimes those things have to do with unchangeable features. Right. Um, so uh, someone says, I wish I was taller, I wish I was shorter, <laughs> or um, they may have a problem with uh, with other factors of, of their, their design. Um, but we need to see that this is part of God's providence. Uh, the gender we're born with, um, the, the ethnicity and so forth. And so to deny that is actually indirectly complaining about God. Yeah, and we don't always understand the whys of God, do we? We don't, and we do live in a fallen world, don't we, Bill? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of a, a teenager that's come through our counseling training locally, who when she was um, in the womb, her parents were told by the doctors that they should have and they should abort um, their baby because of a perceived birth defect in the womb. And they, being Christians, uh, believe, as it says in Psalm 139, um, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we were uh, formed in the inward parts, you know, by by God's creative work. So human life has dignity even in the womb, which, of course, is a very important ethical uh, debate today in our society. But this this um, couple uh, went ahead and had their precious daughter. She did have health problems. She has had surgery. She walks um, you know, with a brace, but she now is getting counseling to work in a pregnancy mm-hmm. uh, ministry uh, to help others, uh, other um, women who might have a crisis pregnancy to see that life has value, even if we have uh, an imperfect physical body, uh, even if we have a, um, some, um, some ailment, God can use that actually as part of our testimony as he has with this young lady. Yeah. John, can we now get to the most exciting application of self? And that would be a believer's regenerated spirit, the brand new creation in Christ, the new self. Boy, is that good news. <laughs> uh, a verse that I think many of our listeners recognize is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, we need to define that, Bill, because many things in our life when we become a child of God, don't disappear. They, there's still problems there. There's still maybe physical issues and other things. So here we need to define that when it says old things have passed away, it's talking about spiritually. We're no longer that spiritual person we were before conversion. Now we're a new creation in our, in our innermost being, which we would call the human spirit. And so when we talk about this use of self, this, like you say, this is good news, the new self is who we are spiritually in Christ. And so in Colossians 3, verse 10, it says, You have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the one who created him. So that has wonderful implications, doesn't it? It does, John, and that new self is united with Christ. Stop taking calls. We've got all the information we need. He is the true vine, right, Bill? And we are the branches. We are organically connected uh, to to this new life. And so that means that the Christian life is not trying to imitate Jesus, but it's actually a participation 
of his indwelling life. We are uh, a new self, and we can live accordingly by his grace. So regardless of whatever you feel, you know, physically or whatever you, you might not like about yourself, that self has been uh, made holy and blameless in God's sight, and you are abiding in him and united to Christ. And certainly that part of our self, that aspect of self, is something we should give thanks for. It's all by God's grace. And as you said before, we're saints. That relates to new spiritual identity. And God wants us to set our mind on, on this spiritual reality, which is life and peace. Mm-hmm. So, John, I'd love for you to talk just in the remaining time. We've got a couple what minutes What a blessing left. to have a new identity that we can live out of. Oh, yeah. I love that. So if you would talk about taking up your cross daily. I guess I've always been just a little tiny bit, um, you know, uncertain about that. I think when we read in Luke 9, 23, to deny ourself, the self is talking about as our natural uh, self-centered tendencies, as the famous song by Frank Sinatra that echoes our cultural values, <laughs> I did it my way. Right. You know, well, I don't think that worked out that well for the famous singer in some ways, and it won't for us either. So denying ourselves means denying that self-centeredness, which is so natural to us based on the flesh, and, and recognize that through Christ we can depend on him to live his life in us and through us. And that's a daily choice, isn't it? It is. And I just want to go back to this idea of a white funeral, and that is, uh, um, explain that one more time, because I think that's a significant uh, step. Well, I got a call today from Mark Miller, who was almost killed um, in the Army in Iraq. Uh, He came home with PTSD, tried various forms of psychiatry and psychotherapy, almost took his life. But when he heard this truth as a Christian, that the old person was crucified with Christ, that we have a new identity, and in Christ we even have a new past, because we're defined by what Jesus did on the cross— not by what happened to us. When Mark believed that and accepted it by faith, then God healed him of his PTSD. He called me today saying, if I can help anyone else going through uh, these struggles, um, please refer them to me. So the white funeral is to recognize that who we were naturally before salvation does no longer define us. And therefore, we can accept by faith that we are new in Christ. And that's like having a white funeral. That's a beautiful thought. John, thank you so much for that. Uh, it's been really a delight having you on the show and really helpful to talk about this self because I think we all think about ourselves a lot and then we can understand there's a, an old self and a new self and we need to uh, live for the, the uh, new self, the one that's uh, abiding in Christ. I know we covered a lot of ground, Bill, but if someone wants the article we've been talking about, they can contact us. We'd be glad to send it to them by email. Yep, and you go to gracefellowshipinternational.com. John, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a privilege. God bless you all. Indeed. Dr. John Woodward has been my guest. He's the Director of Counseling and Training. Again, the website is Grace Fellowship International, and it's the whole word, international.com, gracefellowshipinternational.com. Be right back.
I'm so glad to have Dr. Greg Borgond uh, back in studio. He has been in Ireland for six or seven weeks. And I want to talk to him today about the our citizenship is in heaven because I think he just spent like seven weeks in heaven. <laughs> eight <laughs> weeks to be exact. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. Uh, and probably as close as you're going to get. 56 days, but who's counting? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a spectacular trip. Oh, it's just absolutely yeah. amazing. Life-giving. Okay, talk about this castle you were in with the wolfhounds. That fascinated yeah, me. Yeah, Ashford Castle, they have two mascots. They're wolfhounds. They're about 165 pounds, 36 inches from the shoulders to the floor. Uh, vicious. I mean, that's what they were brought to Ireland for was to get rid of all of the wolves. There's a record of them chasing down for seven miles a wolf and killing a wolf. Wow. They were sent to Rome in 381 AD to fight in the Colosseum, six of them, and the Romans thought they were absolutely ferocious. But these were like kitties. I mean, they were laying on the floor, and of course, we weren't a dog, so they weren't going to attack us. But in the billiards room, we had such a great time with these these wonderful, uh, massive dogs. But the castle itself is just outstanding. I mean, the food was phenomenal. As you know, Bill, they don't put any preservatives in their meat or their vegetables. Everything is fresh, and it just tasted different. So we had a wonderful time. Greg, you've said castle, wolfhounds, and billiards room. And I'm starting to feel like I'm in a Game of Clue. <laughs> well, that's not even the counting pipe, the movie theater. It was the pipe wrench, right? <laughs> what was the murder weapon? The pipe wrench? It was underneath the seat in the movie theater. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me what it did for your spirit uh, just to be in Ireland for seven weeks. Well, there was no pressure. There was no sense of oppression like I feel oftentimes when I'm here in the States. And, and like I told you, it's like finding a new normal. I mean, you have to scale yourself down. Everything is slowed down. I mean, I've never seen so many hues of green in my life, 250,000 miles of stone fences and this beautiful, beautiful land with flowers everywhere mm-hmm. on the side of the road. You don't even have to plant them. They just grow. So, I mean, it's just life-giving. I mean, we'd wake up in the morning, go to the hen house, get some fresh eggs, then go to the fruit tree, get some fruit here, the baying of sheep. We stayed in this cottage outside of Ashford Castle for five weeks and then six castles near the end of our time there. It was just life-giving it was a gift from god for debbie and i in light of the the year that we had had and so it was as i said a gift from god it was just wonderful yeah we're all quite jealous thank you for sharing that with us all right let's get to the citizenship of heaven so great topic which i'm going to cover this whole week i've got uh, oh really oh yeah lee strobel's coming on wednesday to talk about his new book on heaven so i'm excited about it yeah Uh, He's got a new book. That's wonderful. I'd like Mm -hmm. to read that. Well, when I flew to Ireland, you know, I'd have to bring Ireland back in here. I I needed a passport, right? So a passport is proof that that you're a citizen, in our case, of the United States. So being a citizen, you know, carries with it um, certain benefits as well as obligations and responsibilities. But I'm afraid in the U.S., many who hold U.S. citizenship have forgotten what citizenship really means. So just as a refresher as we move into our topic about citizenship in heaven, the Constitution and laws of the U.S. uh, give many rights to its citizens. First of all, voting. Second, and many don't know this, but bringing family members to the U.S. Third, obtaining citizenship for children that may have been uh, born abroad. Traveling with a U.S. passport, uh, becoming eligible for federal jobs, for instance, 
and becoming an elected official. Those, those are all of the benefits that accrue to you, besides the protection that the U.S. offers its citizens. With that, though, comes certain responsibilities and obligations. When you take the oath of allegiance, for instance, it identifies several of these that you must swear to. So give up all prior allegiance to any other nation or sovereignty as a part of that uh, oath of allegiance. Swear allegiance to the U.S. Serve the country when required. And responsibility to participate uh, in the political process by registering and voting in elections. And serving on a jury. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're 70, I understand you don't have to serve and you just say you're 70 and you don't serve. I, I got a notice just before I left for Ireland. You're <laughs> off the I hook, was, huh? I was off the hook. Sweet. So in, in an article entitled, What Does It Mean That Our Citizenship Is in Heaven? The author contrasts the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of heaven from the perspective of citizenship. He says that a citizen, as we all know, is a person who legally belongs to a country and has the rights and protections of that country. Citizens adopt the culture and practices of the nation or the kingdom to which they belong. So every human being is born into the kingdom of this world. But the interesting thing, as we know from a biblical point of view, it's a, it's a world that Satan rules. Uh, scripture says, like in 2 Corinthians 4.1 and 1 John 5.19, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then in, in 1 John 5.19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand that there's a spirit of delusion in Second um, uh, Thessalonians chapter two or chapter seven, I believe, uh, identifies that a spirit of delusion is given to those people who have rejected the gospel. And only God knows at what point there is no return when somebody finally rejects the gospel. But they're given a spirit of delusion. Consequently, we grow up um, adopting the culture, the practices, and values that he, the enemy, instigates. It says in Scripture again, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So Satan's kingdom enslaves its citizens. In Romans 6.16, Romans 6, uh, 6.16 tells us that, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to repentance. And as I said on your show before, obedience will always produce strength, but disobedience always produces weakness. So with the darkened hearts and minds, we blindly follow our leader into the very sins that pull us deeper into slavery. We remain captives in this kingdom of sin, headed for destruction until Jesus frees us. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we read, And you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins which you once worked or walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which, of course, is the enemy, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, however, highlights the differences between those who desire fellowship with Jesus Christ and those who focus on earthly pursuits. For as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, 
Many lives, uh, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So those who do not know Christ live only for this world and the pleasure they can find for themselves. They're citizens of this world and live by its rules and value systems. So that's what citizenship in the world is all about. So when I'm caught up uh, in the world, and we all are caught up in the world on occasion, depressed by you know what it offers, angry by what I uh, am observing, I remind myself as a follower of Jesus Christ to whom I belong mm-hmm. and where my true citizenship resides. Because if we don't lift ourselves up against the squalor of, of our, our existence on earth and recognize that God has called us apart from that, then we'll lose our perspective and we'll lose our way. One source puts it this way. When we are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, we are born into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone, it says in Scripture, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. So speaking of those who have had that spiritual rebirth, Philippians 3.20 clearly says our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus spent much of his, you know, his earthly ministry explaining the kingdom of heaven. He compared it to to many things, including a, a wheat field in which weeds grew along with the wheat. The plants appeared identical at first, but were separated at the harvest. The truth is, often the citizens of heaven and those of this world appear identical. And no one but God knows the difference. Hmm. Many people may appear to be citizens of heaven when, in fact, no rebirth has ever taken place in their hearts. So to be adopted into the family of God means that we become citizens of an eternal kingdom where our father is the king. Our focus turns towards eternal things and storing up our treasure in heaven. So we consider ourselves ambassadors. As a matter of fact, the scripture says we're ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of reconciliation to this earth until the Father sends for us and we go home. Ephesians 2, 18 through 22 uh, says this, For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Even though the world will see you as such, in God's kingdom you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. Ah, That's great news, don't you think, Bill? It's such great news. So we live for a short time in these physical bodies, anticipating the bright future in our uh, real home. While here, we share Abraham's experience, really, living, as I quote from Hebrews 11, 9, and 10, like a stranger in a foreign country, looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Matt Wilson, uh, in his article titled Benefits of Heavenly Citizenship, makes the following point. I am a citizen of heaven, I belong body and soul to God. My ultimate loyalty must belong to him. 
not to the USA, which is secondary at best. My heavenly citizenship supersedes my earthly citizenship because God is the highest authority. Though Christians belong to God above, we are called to live here, deployed in our various capacities as ambassadors to everyday people on behalf of King Jesus. So when we get caught up in this whole um, nationalism that's found its way into the church and we identify so closely with the flag, which I support, I spent 29 years in the Navy. So I'm a, I'm a patriot. However, I know which flag I'm to fly now that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom of God. That's the flag that I need to fly. I can't be enmeshed in the things of this world other than be that minister of reconciliation to a fallen world, to a world that's getting darker by the day. So when we receive Jesus uh, as Savior and Lord, we're under new management. We need to recognize that. We are under new management. We owe our unconditional allegiance to the king. We receive a new passport as citizens of heaven with its benefits and responsibilities. And that passport, you know, to identify us as citizens is really in us. It's called the Spirit of God. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, a guarantee of our salvation and our inheritance. So that's our passport. So Tiffany Cole in Heavenly Citizenship stresses that we now follow a different set of rules and laws. We are called to live our life in accordance to the laws of heaven, which is where our true citizenship lies and not according to the world we live in. So we're under new management. We have a new constitution. You could even take a look, for instance, at the Sermon on the Mount as our new constitution. Mm. We have a new code of conduct. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which should, we should be presenting to the world by how we live before they listen to what we have to say. So we can get into this unless we need to break, Bill, about summarizing the benefits and responsibilities associated with being citizens of heaven. I think that's a great place to break, Greg, if you don't mind. I, I want to get back to this because this is thrilling and it's so timely, and I think everybody needs to hear this message because it, it's so exciting. It is. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. He's president and founder of Heart of a Warrior's Ministry. That's heartofawarrior.org. We'll be right back. Dr. Greg Borgon, Heart of a Warrior Ministry, President and Founder. You can go to heartofawarrior.org. Talking about our citizenship. If you are born again, you have a passport. It's been stamped. It uh, says heaven. 
That's right. That's Pretty absolutely cool. right. Uh, Let's talk passport. about some of the great bennies. All right. Some of the benefits now that just like with your U.S. passport or any passport that carries with it some benefits, but these <laughs> overwhelm any benefits you could <laughs> possibly enjoy on, on earth. So here's some of the benefits. One, we're adopted into the family of God. We're not just allowed to live there. We're part of his family. Mm-hmm. Secondly, <laughs> salvation begins with conversion. It's an event, but it continues until we are in a heavenly home. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we're freed from the penalty of sin, and we're freed from the power of sin. And when we go home to heaven, we'll be freed from the very presence of sin. That's all part of the passport. Uh, fourth, we become new creatures, it says in Second Corinthians 5.17. a matter of fact, in, in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, it says, we put off the old nature and we put on the new nature. A one-time event. Um, number five, the Holy Spirit begins to transform our sinful worldly desires into those that gratify God, even when you sleep. <laughs> so, I mean, God is at work. He doesn't sleep. The Holy Spirit is bringing about that gradual sanctification, that gradual incremental change in the way we think, the way we feel, and how we act. We are given the power to become like Christ. It says in Ephesians 4, 13, and 15 that we are to become like Christ, that Christ-likeness should be something that should be evident in the way in which we live. And finally, the other, the, uh, an additional benefit is we're given the power of exiting the world's flawed value system and living for eternity in Christ's presence. Mm. And so that's why I encourage men all the time to adopt and embrace biblical values so that you're living in accordance with God's rules and his commands, as well as making decisions that are filtered through that value system, that we should shun the values of the world and adopt the values that we find in Scripture. Good place to start is the book of Proverbs. Oh, the best, yeah. (laughs) So along with those benefits, though, there are responsibilities. We all like to hear about the benefits, but the responsibilities and obligations are a little bit harder for us. And it seems almost overwhelming initially. So what are our responsibilities once we receive this passport to the kingdom of God? One, to become holy. So being holy is respecting the rules God gives you and handling those rules carefully and correctly. Holy actually means to be set apart. We have to understand we're set apart from the world. And we need to recognize that and live like it. That's a responsibility. That's an obligation. Number two... Uh, we're to become ministers of reconciliation. We already mentioned that. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Number three, we're to represent God in his kingdom to a fallen world. We're not to live in a hobble. We're not to live in a, a Christian ghetto throwing verses over the transom, hoping it's going to strike somebody in the head and they're going to come to Christ. We're to walk in the world to be that representative, even though the world will see us as strangers and aliens. Number four, we're to bear the fruit of the Spirit which is our, really our code of conduct that we've already mentioned. That's found in Galatians five twenty-two through 24. And the more that that fruit is manifested in our life, the more people see the difference between people who belong to the kingdom of God and people who embrace the world. Number three, we're to represent God in his kingdom to that fallen world. So we're to bear the fruit. Number four, number five, we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So we don't, at the moment of conversion climb into a fetal position, and hope that Christ is going to come, waiting for us to be ushered home. God wants us in the world 
for the sake of the world, but not to be of the world. So we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Number six, we're to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, both of those, if you want to look them up, are found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Number seven, we're to set our affections on things above, Colossians 3.1. Number eight, we're to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in us, 1 Peter 3.15. Number nine, we're not to conform to the pattern of this world, Romans 12.2. And number 10, we're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why Scripture is so important in the study of it, in the meditating upon it, in the memorizing of it, because that is the axiomatic truth, not what we're experiencing in the world. It's the Word of God that gives us the truth, that gives us the proper perspective to interpret and understand our observations of the world around us and not get caught up and lost into the middle of it. Now, this all may seem to be like a tall order to live by. And if we did it on our own, it would be. Mm -hmm. However, the Bible tells us that we're given everything, Bill, that we need to live a life of godliness. In 1 Peter 1.3, we read, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So all that is required, all that is required is obedience, the true standard for our expression of love to God. Obedience, as I said earlier, produces strength. Disobedience will always produce weakness. So let's review in summary. Number one, we are citizens of heaven. By our, citizen, our citizenship is in heaven, according to Philippians 3, 20 and 21, and we are eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by uh, the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. In Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens in God's view, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built, that's why we should gather together in worship, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple, as we talked about before. Number two, we're aliens and strangers to this world. So let's get over it. <laughs> that's what we are. Dear friends, according to 1 Peter two eleven and 12, I urge you as aliens and strangers... In the world, to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the days he visits us. Number three, we are to conform to the world. We are not to conform to the world. It says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is through Scripture on an incremental daily basis, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Number four, we are not to be lovers of the world. It says in 1 John two fifteen through 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Number five, we are not friends with the world. <laughs> you adulterous people, James 4.4 4 says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy 
of God. And finally, number six, we have a mandate to follow. This passage I have, every man that goes through Heart of a Warrior, phase one, memorize this passage. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Titus 2, 11 through 14. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed appearing of our great God and Savior who gave himself to create for himself a people eager to do what is right and good. So the question I would leave with the audience is just three questions. To whose kingdom do you belong? To whom do you give your allegiance? And finally, whose flag are you flying? Mm, Fantastic. Greg, you should go on this seven-week Ireland sabbatical (laughs) every year because this has done you well. (laughs) Well, I thought so much about it while I was there. I can see that, and boy, we're getting the results of that. Thank you so much for uh, this time of teaching and this view and perspective of our citizenship is in heaven, and if we are born again, We have that passport. It's been stamped. We're going to heaven, and we belong to him. Thank you, Greg. My pleasure. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest, president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. That's all for this time with Greg. We're going to take a little break. I'm going to get a drink of water, and then we're going to start with Jeff Verdorn. We're going to continue studying God's Word. That's all coming up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.